Okay, so we're hanging out here with Chris Barnes from Six Feet Under. We're talking about the brand new Six Feet Under release, Graveyard Classics 3. So I wanted to kind of go through each song on here and just kind of get your thoughts on the original song, you know, if there was any difficulty in making it and, and why you picked that track. So, uh, and we'll, we'll do it in, uh, in order here. So the first track on there was A Dangerous Meeting, which of course is a very classic Merciful Fate track. Um, I have two questions about this. Number one, why did you pick that track? And then why is it the leadoff first track? Okay. Uh, well, I picked that one because, uh, I mean, personally, that album, you know, Don't Break the Oath is one of my favorite metal albums of all time. I had that album cover painted on the back of my denim vest when I was in high school. So, I, I mean... That, that really was a hard-hitting record to me, and that song really always was so picturesque as far as the uh, lyrics went. You know, it was like a, really a movie when you read the lyrics to that album. And uh, I just, it always really kind of, you know, it's just so beautiful, that, that, that song. And, uh, beautiful? Yeah, uh, yeah, it is, man. It is really a beautiful song, man. It's so heavy, and it's just gets you, man. I mean, the lyrics are awesome. I mean, it's poetry. So, you know, to me, I mean, I, I think Edgar Allan Poe's poetry is, is beautiful, you know. Some might call it macabre, but I, I think it's gorgeous, you know. It's just lovely. So, and wh- <laughs> that, wh- where, where is another, it? That's on another tangent, but I definitely <laughs> would... I definitely consider King Diamond that caliber, man. You know, I mean, he's just on all levels uh, just a mysterious you know, type of dude, and his music is just is, is awesome. And that, that song is my favorite. And, uh, you know, it's number one on the record because it leads off Don't Break the Oath, and it's just such a kick-ass opening song, man. It just comes in right at you, and it just gives you that good metal feeling right off the bat. So what what became of the denim vest? The denim vest I still have, actually. It's still in my archive, so to speak. Nice. You have to show me that next time I'm down there. I want to see it. I will, man. I, I want you to, I want, next time we go to a lightning game, I want you to wear it. Oh, I don't know if I could still fit into it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. Well, at least, at least show it to me. I want to see that. I will. I'll, I'll dig it up out of storage. Well, well, yeah, well, well, yeah, we'll have to get either video or a photo of it and put it up yeah, somewhere man. so people can, it's so people really can good see it. Too. It looks exactly like this kid that did all our vests. I had the uh, that album cover on mine. Paul had uh, Hello Waits, Paul Mazurk, which was Cannibal Corp. And uh, Bob Rousset had, uh, um, what was it, uh, Denim and Leather, I think, on the back is. How bad for Leather, yeah. Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So cool. So track two is Anvil's Metal on Metal. Metal on Metal, yeah. The famous lips and, and, and the gang, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, did that song just, just because, I mean, it was actually the first song. If I, when I, when we were working on Graveyard Classics 2, I'm always like ahead of this game, is, I'm always thinking, what would be the next? cover song we'd do if we did a part three and that was the first song I thought of way back then and kind of had it stuck in my head like hey that that's going to be the next one you know and it's just got such a classic riff man and it just fit our our personality so well like all these songs really do but uh yeah that one just sticks out that groove just you know 
I think uh, I think a lot of our fans are really going to like that one live. Cool. And uh, track three is a, a bit of an ambitious one, and one that like I think everything else on the record when you when you said you're going to do it, I was like, okay, all that stuff makes sense. But this was one I was like, ooh, that's that's an interesting track, and and definitely a hard one to do. Is uh, Metallica's "Frayed" the excuse me, "Frayed Ends of Sanity." I mean, there's so many great Metallica songs, and, and clearly, I guess you'd want to pick one that's not as recognizable, maybe to, to do. But what was what was the process behind figuring that one out? And and when you guys went down to to actually put it onto tape, was it was it easier or more difficult than you expected it to be? Uh, it was really it was really probably the hardest song on the record to play and to, to lay down. Uh, that song and also the Merciful Fate song. Uh, I think you know we picked that one. You know I picked that one really because uh, I don't know it was a little more personal. I guess I mean they're all kind of personal picks, but that one was uh, it, uh, it 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 kind of was just a song that really got me and and uh, stuck with me over the years. I mean that tour was real special to me. I got you know it marked a real special point in time in my life and uh, you know got got to share that night with with someone that was real important to me so uh that song you know i just had been listening to that album a lot at one point last year and uh you know that song just jumped out at me and it was pretty much you know one of the first songs i picked for this when we decided to do another one would you would you say that that's your favorite metallica album um, I would say it's pretty much a tie between Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, and 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 Justice for All. Really inter- interesting. That's interesting that you say that because, well, first of all, the three-way tie—that's kind of a cop-out. Number one, it's not though, Brian. I, I can't really, I cannot figure out what one's better because they really all mark certain points in in time to me that, like. I mean, I can remember, I mean, very vividly things that were happening in my early music career during those three releases that were just like, it was like the only thing I was listening to. I can't really say what one's better because they're all so, they're so different, man. Each of those albums are so different, you know? But it's also interesting that you mention those three and you leave out the one that most people think is their best album, which is Master of Puppets. Yeah, I know. I never really, uh, I never dug that album as much as all my other friends did. I don't know why. No, that's interesting. Well, my favorite is is definitely um, Ride the Lightning. That, that I love all of those. It's funny because I probably like Ride the Lightning first and then maybe Justice second, but uh, uh, it's all good stuff. Well, that's 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 interesting. So, and that leads us obviously to the next of the of the big the big band. So after this, you did you know one of my all time favorite Slayer records, At Dawn They Sleep. Yeah, from Hell of Witch, yep. Um, I, uh, well, to me, and I hate, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, he's just kissing Brian's ass because he's our metal blaze dog girl, but I really... Feel free, don't worry. I always thought the Slayer stuff on Metal Blade was better than anything that came after it, you know? Production-wise, I felt like everything kind of dried up on the production, the, you know the darkness, the organic sound they had. The, just the, it had a more of a picturesque type of feel to the lyrics and everything. And uh, I just really, I just felt like Hell Awaits is their. 
I guess their best full-length album. I mean, my favorite Slayer release is Haunting the Chapel, but, you know, I mean, you know, we picked them up warfare for another time, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously, you know, those two tracks have, you know, some pretty intense drumming stuff on it. And, you know, uh, Greg is as great and solid a drummer as he is. He's, you know, he's not necessarily known for his, his speed stuff, but I think yeah, he did, he, I think he did I a pretty good job on these, though. Prowess. Yeah, no, uh, he's, uh, you know, he definitely was challenged on this album. I challenged everyone, including myself, on this whole lineup of songs, you know, Greg including, especially the end of uh, At Dawn They Sleep with the big the big finish on the drums with the fast kick stuff, the doubles. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he came out of his shell. <laughs> he just, he, he erupted a little bit on this one. I think I pissed him off. I think, you know, I told him, I said, you know, I dare you to try to do this, you know, just like I dared Steve to try to do some of the guitaring on this. He just killed me, though. I don't know what else to throw at him because he can pretty much play anything. I think there's going to be a, you know, next one's going to be some weird country album or something just to try to throw them completely off court or throw them behind a lap steel guitar or something. Uh-oh, you're going to follow Hot Topic into the world country. Don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, track five continues the the very heavy Canadian influence, I might add, on this album. There's three songs on here from Canadian bands, and track five being Not Fragile from Bachman Turner Overdrive, which of course is probably the one, well, I guess it would be the one song that's kind of out of left field, more or less. Tell me how that came about. Well, you're you're to blame for that, but really you're to thank for that, and uh, it's just something that we never would have picked ourselves. You know, I don't I'm not I'm not familiar with their stuff too much other than their radio hits and same with Terry which is incredible because he's you know right there with you on on the metal uh, the, the you know as far as being a metal historian goes but uh and hard rock guy you know I think you got him beat on that but um it was just a song you introduced us to and blew, it blew me away I was skeptical I got to tell you man when you told me I was like oh Jesus Christ here's another one you know, so we're gonna, thanks. See what the hell this thing's about, and I, uh, I, I couldn't find it. So I think all of us, including some of the journalists that I talked to on this round of interviews, were like, "Yeah, I never, I couldn't find the song, so I went on YouTube to to listen to it, and that's what I did. I was like, went on YouTube and and punched up the original song, and it came up, and I was like, oh man, of course, that just you know, it fit right as it is." perfect for our bass-heavy type of rhythmic, you know, repeat, verse-chorus type of uh, structure, and it gave Terry a, you know, a big type of spotlight to kind of just sit, sit back and thunder it out, you know, so I had a great a great time doing that song, man, I thought it was, and it's always cool to do songs like you're not too familiar with, like, you know, when I think it was you or you and Terry wanted us, wanted to do a uh, uh, jailbreak when we were doing the Maximum Violence uh, sessions way back when, and I wasn't like the hugest Thin Lizzy fan, but I mean, it it was like so cool to do that song, and now they're one of my favorite bands of all time, you know? I mean... You're opening your mind up, that's good. Well, yeah, and I hope that's what it does to the fans, too, because I know there's a lot of this stuff, and it's stuff that's not even as obscure as Bachman Turner Overdrive, that maybe our, our newer fans, the younger kids that 
Then they're so underrated because I, I think that stuff's super heavy. Like I remember when we were first talking about Graveyard Classics three, and I was driving around in my car, and I always just set my iPod on on random, and that song came up, and I go, "Ooh, this would be that riff would be kind of cool for six feet." So that's when I asked you about it. But I'll tell you, you'll, you'll, you'll we'll see the impact of your version of this song because I I did. Uh, uh, not to get too much into my whole little world, but I did an, an interview with uh, these guys, uh, you know, Sam Dunn, who did, you know, the Fight 666 and Headbangers Journey and all that stuff. They, uh, they're they doing a 16-part uh, documentary on basically the history of metal for VH1. And the guy who's helping them, like they're the, one of the historian guys there, we were having a conversation about... Because um, I think when they interviewed me, somehow I, I mentioned something mentioned about Bachman Turner Overdrive. Somehow I, I can't remember how it came up, but he asked me. You know, there was a debate amongst the crew whether that that's somebody they should try to interview uh, because of their influence or not. And I said, well, you know, I, my personal opinion is yeah, because there's a lot of heavy stuff on there. And I mentioned that you know the tr- the track that you did here, so that might sway them to actually you know interview Randy <laughs> Bachman if he's up for it. I mean, he might just say, oh, I don't like heavy metal, but you know, we'll see oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> So we'll see how wide uh, how how wide your uh, swath of, uh, of yeah, influence like is. Six degrees of six feet under, or something. <laughs> exactly. So I'm uh, moving on to track six. Uh, another interesting choice: uh, Van Halen's "On Fire." Yep, yep. That was the one I threw at Steve to just say, "Ha, try that." And. He came back and said it's done in like two minutes. You know, he's like, yeah, because that that's a hard song to play, obviously, with you know all the stuff that Eddie did. I thought it was. I really, you know, I thought it was gonna be like the you know the the mind bender, you know, and uh, he tore that thing up. I knew Greg. I was I kind of picked that one because Greg is like the Van Halen king. He loves Van Halen. You know, it's he's always. On the tour bus when we're heading out on the road, it's Van Halen is on the CD player all night long, and uh, you know uh, it's just like I got we got to pick one for for old Greg. Just kind of kicked out, and I love that song. You know, it just destroys, and you know I was just like, oh, Steve was gonna Steve was gonna have a time with this, and he just killed it, man. I mean, it was like one of those one take, just destroyed it type of songs and uh i you know if it doesn't i mean i said it before in a couple other interviews on this run but you know the songs on this on this album are not easy songs and if it doesn't prove that these guys can play and steve's a real contender as far as you know guitar players go out there i don't know what what he has to do to prove himself or the other guys because they're playing this stuff, and they're playing exactly like the original bands, and and, and just heavying it out. So, uh, yeah, th- this one this one surprised me a lot too, because that was one of the ones when I saw the listing, going like, okay, I can see most of this stuff, but that's an interesting choice, not only in terms of the music, and obviously, you know, the guitar playing. You know, you're trying to, you know. It, do justice to Eddie Van Halen, which isn't the easiest thing to do. But one question I wanted to ask you because I find it fascinating, especially like the last two, not fragile on fire. You know, you're you're kind of doing the the, uh, I guess the for lack of a better word, the Barnes Barnesization of <laughs> of of the vocals. Yeah. Like when you when you go about doing the these things and and singing it in your vocal style, um, you know the stuff that's kind of straightforward. You know the the 
like I said, they're not fragilely on fire. Like, how do you adjust that to to what to to your style and make it make it work? Because I find that really super fascinating when you listen to this stuff. It's like, wow, it's interesting. An interesting take on how you can you know kind of convert that. It, it is interesting. It's it's definitely uh, that's the challenge for me. You know, I mean, um, you know, I feel like. The rest of the band has the hard part on everything. To me, it's the the hardest part for me is is that is the, is transferring you know, a real notey type of operatic vocalist, like say like King Diamond on the first track, and transferring it to what I do. And and I think it all has to do number one with just feeling. I have to feel the song first off. I have to really know and love the song and feel it deep down. And the second part is. I don't really worry, obviously, about, you know, notes or harmony or melody too much. It's, so my voice, I've always thought of it more of a percussive instrument, and I just kind of work off the syncopation of the rhythm, and I only really focus on on timing and, and, and the ins and outs of the riff as far as the depth of the vocal or the the approach of the vocal and um, the, just the sheer energy just kind of fuels me along as far as keeping me on that track. But uh, it's just all in the, the I, I really feel as though I'm just a percussive instrument. I'm not really a, 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 a notey or, a, you know, obviously not a classically schooled uh, type of operatic type of vocalist. <laughs> so I just kind of do it like that. It's all by feeling, really. What was the hardest song for you to do vocally on this album? Uh, hardest song vocally. Um, I felt I have had the hardest, the the most uh, difficult time with uh, um, snap your snap your neck. Interesting. All right, well, we'll get to that one in a couple minutes. So, track seven is the third Canadian band on here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's Cider doing pounding metal. Why such a Canadian influence here? Well, um. Because you grew up in Buffalo right next door? I don't know. Yeah, actually. I mean, I said it before. I mean, uh, people have always asked me, where are you from originally? And I said, New York. They said, like, well, you don't sound like you're from New York City. You don't have a New York accent. I'll always explain, well, I'm from Buffalo. We're pretty much Canadians, you know, so right on the border and stuff. So, I mean, it just see Matt Slider and Anvil, and obviously you threw the BTO at us, but uh, uh, Exciter, the reason why I picked that song was it was the second song I'd ever learned how to play in a band when I first started out, in, you know, in a cover band when way back when, you know, 1984, whatever, and uh, when we all picked up our instruments and I picked up the mic, the second song we learned was Pounding Metal by Exciter. Nice. And then track eight is Twisted Sisters Destroyer. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I love this song. I mean, uh, it wasn't my pick. I actually picked uh, uh, You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. And uh, Steve was like, he came back to me. He was like, man, I think uh, I think Destroyer fit their sound a little bit better. Yeah, it's, su- it's super heavy. And people forget that first Twisted Sister record, Under the Blade, is really crushingly heavy. Oh, 
it is. It's super heavy, super heavy, man. Ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, and it just it fit our, it fit our chunkiness, you know, a little bit more bass to it, just low end. And track nine is actually this, you know, this borderlines on my favorite track on, on the record for some reason, uh, Psychotherapy by uh, the infamous Ramones. Yeah, and my friend today told me, my buddy Fred, you met him at the session when I was doing vocals, uh, he was like, I'll tell you what, I, I, I think that's my least favorite. I was just like, Jesus, well, thanks for the critique. Thanks a lot. I, I don't, he's just, I was like, you're, you weren't a Ramones fan. And he's like, no, I wasn't. I was like, well, there you have it. So, you know, uh, I love that song. Again, man, it was one of the, one of the uh, bands that I kind of rediscovered over the past six or seven months and was sitting there in, in the dark listening to music, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. And, and that was one of the songs that kind of stuck with me. I was like, you know what, that was going on there. And it was kind of one of the later picks on the album. And I feel like it kind of also changed up, uh, you know, just kind of changed things up as far as, uh, you know, the flow of things on the record. It kind of pushes it into a different direction as far as, you know, the the feeling of the overall flow goes. And it's interesting that, you know, the kind of punk influence uh, for, I guess, you know, this is maybe even a broader question in terms of just death metal overall, but on the first Graveyard Classics, there's a, de- you know, you guys did a Dead Kennedys track, and now, you know, on this one, there's a Ramones track. So talk, talk to me a little bit about the influence that, that punk music has, not only on, on the, you know, the cover stuff that you've done, but just on kind of the whole death metal genre in itself. Well, it's interesting, man. I mean, you know, a little history lesson, I mean, going back to, I'd say 83 or something, 82, I mean, you remember, it was very strange. I mean, on the East Coast, you know, early 80s, late 70s, it was very separate between, there was a separate line between hard rock, you know, metal, and punk. I don't know if it was like that in Europe or in England, but on the East Coast, it was like, man, the punkers hate the metalheads, the metalheads hate the punkers. But then all of a sudden, in you know, 84, 85, 86, it started to become like, kind of like, you know, the, the thrash scene from San Francisco and the hardcore scene became very similar and closely related. And you have a lot of, a lot of more knowledge of this why, but I just saw it as the music started really kicking ass and sounded more metally, you know, and we all started going to DRI concerts and Chromex concerts and, you know, Black Flag concerts, and, you know, just all the metalheads started filtering into those shows, and we started to see a lot of the punkers coming into the, you know, the Slayer shows and coming to see Creator and stuff like that, Suicidal Tendencies, who knew if they were metal or if they were, you know, hardcore. So I think, like, when Cannibal Corp started in Buffalo back in, you know, the late 80s, we're kind of a product of like that whole intertwining of going to see both types of music and really feeling both sides of the music, like, you know, the speed, the aggression, and then the dirtiness of the hardcore scene and the just the straight-up street meanness of the hardcore scene. And I think those two styles really were in the forefront, you know, in, in our minds, and I think in my mind, too, because I really, like, really embraced both both scenes and a lot of my friends were were punk guys you know one of my friends was a professor at buff state and he was you know had a mohawk probably about two foot high and you know 
listening to nothing but I'm sure that went over well with the dean. Yeah, man, he was a math professor. I mean, the guy was a genius, but all he did was listen to punk, man. He was just straight up punker, man. And you know, you know, hanging out with him and hanging out with some of my other friends that had different kind of influences, you know, like blues and stuff. I I had a a good schooling when it came to like music as far as listening to music and appreciate music appreciation I'd say you know so that was a lot to do with the how I felt like that filters into my style and to what we've done and our kind of our some of our bass riffs and stuff like that have that type of tempo and progression you know I mean you know when you talk about some of our original songs you know you can feel some of that in our music as well yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to get too too off on a tangent, but just real quick, punk always seems to be gat metal. It started in the seventies and in England with you know bands like the Sex Pistols and stuff, and then right after that came Iron Maiden, that certainly took some of that. And you know, Slayer and Metallica definitely have you know heavy punk influences, and you know, on and on and on. So, yeah. um, well, to wrap up the all of the songs, track ten, the final one is uh, an interesting choice: "Snap Your Fingers." Snap Your Neck by the wonderful Prong. Yes, yes. Um, that was just, you know, kind of, I thought was one of the most perfect songs ever written in, in our, you know, in, in the metal style of music. I really feel that one of those songs that's just a perfect composition. And, uh, you know, knowing, knowing Tommy uh, over the years, just... Uh, the guy's a great, great fucking guy, man. I've always just loved him dearly. He's always just been super cool to me. And, uh, I you know, I just wanted to do that one just because I love the song, and he's such a great dude. Has he, do you know if he's heard the track yet? I don't know, man. You know, I'm sure he will, though. I'm sure if I hear anything from any of these bands, he'll be the one I hear something from. <laughs> you know, I mean, he invited me on stage one time in Orlando at the House of Blues, and I got to sing with him on stage, and I think we had a great time, and we always talked about that stuff. And hey, you, hey, you never know. Uh, I was at the uh, Behemoth show a couple weeks ago, and you know they used to play a, a Ramones cover live, and one of the Ramones guys found out about it and actually came to the show uh, and came backstage and met Nurgle and the guys. So you never know who may appear and show up. So Wow, that's bone-chilling, man. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, wow, awesome. That was pretty cool. So, uh, all right, well, let's uh, let's listen to some more Six Feet Under music from the Graveyard Classics 3 release.
Alrighty, so we've been hanging out here with uh, Mr. Chris Barnes from Six Feet Under. We've been talking about the latest release, Graveyard Classics 3. Yet an in-depth look at uh, why, where, when, how, if, all these things came about. So definitely please check it out uh, right here on uh, iTunes or however you can get your music these days. Feel free uh, or feel free to uh, support us as well. Um, so tell me about your uh, Buffalo Sabres this year, Mr. Barnes. Yeah, but I haven't really been following too much hockey this year, man. You're going to have to, you know, catch me up on everything. I've so been, apparently, I haven't, I haven't taken you enough games to get you to pay attention. You know now. That's you, the problem. You, you've been, uh, you've been neglecting your metal brother down here in Tampa. You need to come down here and take me to a couple games. Well, let me let me just explain <laughs> that the last four times I've been in Tampa, you haven't been there. I know it's true. It's true. I we've been playing ping pong and all that. BS, like phone tag, all that stuff. So, uh, well, I'll be there. I'll be there in March for a whole week. So, don't worry. Okay. Well, we'll I, be, I believe your Sabers are in okay. town that week too. You we'll, never, you we'll be know. hockey and all sorts of fun on the agenda in March. I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. So, uh, aside from all that, tell us uh, what's up uh, in the next uh, foreseeable future for Six Feet. Well, we uh, we're working uh, right now. We're just kind of brainstorming on on uh, ideas and and. Uh, just working some riffs out for the for the next uh, full length uh, CD, and uh, got some touring planned. We're trying to get something together over here in the states, and uh, we're going to be working on a, a new video release. So we've got a bunch of stuff that we're we're putting together, and uh, you know, glad to have you behind us as always, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Glad to have you, and thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a while on this month's Metal Blade podcast, or this week's, or this day's, or however many it'll happen. But uh, thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. Thanks a lot.